Well, tonight we are kicking off a new series called Getting to the Heart of the Matter. So open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 7. And while you're turning there, I want to introduce at least tonight's message with a, uh, I'm going to start with a hypothetical scenario, okay? And I, I don't think this would ever happen in your life, but let's just do a hypothetical scenario, okay? Here's the scenario. It's Friday night, school week is over, you got your homework done, the weekend is beginning, you're excited, everything's done, your chores are done, homework is done, and you get a text from a friend inviting you to join this friend and a bunch of others, a whole group of friends are going to the movies on Friday night. All your friends, all your relayers, they're all going to be there, so you go to mom and dad and ask if you can go, to which dad responds with the fatal word, no. He explains they were planning on going out tonight and they need you to stay at home to watch your siblings, so maybe another time. You feel your heart start pounding. You feel disappointed. Your voice raises just a little bit. Another time, you reply, but everyone is going to be there. Why don't you go another time? Mom explains that they have plans with another couple and they can't reschedule. Your voice raises a little bit more. Why do I always have to stay with them? They're your kids anyway. Can't they watch themselves? To which your mom replies, honey, they're five and two. They can't stay home alone. Frustration grows, you feel yourself losing control. This is ridiculous, you say, without even realizing you are at this point yelling. Why do you guys get to go whenever you want? You're so selfish. Everyone is going to be there except for me. You're always saying you want me to have good friends, but you never let me do anything. This stinks. This is so unfair. And then you storm off to your room, slam the door, and you lay there beginning to run through all the injustices in your life because of you being in this family. Like I said, this is a hypothetical scenario. I'm sure this has never happened before. What's going on here? What's the issue. This may never exactly happen like this for you, but I guess I'm betting all of us in here tonight know the feeling of losing our temper. The goal of this series is to help us answer the question, what's going on? When I'm struggling, when I'm sinning, not just about this issue, but in all the issues in our life, when I'm anxious, when I'm fearful, when, when I'm raising my voice and I feel my heart pounding and I feel frustration rising up and I feel myself using harsh words and accusatory words and when all this stuff's going on and it happens all the time in our lives, why do we struggle like this with sin. And the goal of the series is to get to the heart of the matter. And so tonight we're going to learn from Jesus why we do the things we do. Why do we act this way? Why do we behave this way? That's what we're asking. And we're gonna get to the heart of the matter. So Mark chapter seven, we're gonna look at verses 20 through 23. And we're gonna have three points tonight from our text. Introducing the series, we're gonna go 
really until advance, we're going to be doing this series, getting to the heart of the matter. So Mark 7, verse 20. God's word says to us tonight, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Point number one, tonight's message is the heart of all matters. All matters come from the same heart. In our text, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus is responding to an accusation from the Pharisees that his disciples didn't wash their hands properly before they ate. I know that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But the Pharisees had all these different ways to try and make themselves clean. Look back at the beginning of Mark chapter 7 in your Bibles. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. I mean, they washed everything. Literally, they bathed is what the word means. So they would go out into the market, they would interact with people, and before they could eat anything or touch anything, they had to wash their hands. And they had all these washings and rituals where they would have to pour the water over their hands and let it drip down to their elbow. And then they'd hold their hands this way, pour water over them and watch it drip this way, and they would wipe off their dining couch and all their pots and vessels. Everything had to be clean. They were careful about what they touched. Touching anything unclean would make them unclean. They were careful about what they ate, that nothing unclean would enter into their bodies. They had this whole list of things that they would do, trying to make themselves clean before God. They had a book called the Mishnah, which had 186 pages of rules that they had to follow. You thought your chore chart was long at home, you know, 186 pages, 35 pages are devoted just to washing vessels like pots and pans before you eat. 35 pages of rules. Every time these guys ate, it was like a a brain surgeon going into surgery. I mean, they were scrubbing in before they went into this meal. They took it very seriously. Uh, There was one Pharisee who was imprisoned by the Romans, and he almost died. He was near the point of death because the water the Romans gave him, he used to wash rather than to drink to sustain his life. There was one rabbi who was caught eating bread without properly washing, and he was kicked out of the synagogue. He wasn't just removed from being a rabbi. They kicked him out of the synagogue altogether because he didn't wash his hands properly. Everything they did all day long, eating and working, they were concerned about being clean before God. And they thought if they followed all these rules then they would be clean and God would accept them and they would be okay with God. One commentator called this passage we read the most revolutionary passage in the New Testament because Jesus turns 
their whole religion and all their rules and regulations. He turns them all upside down. They're about to have an earth-shaking collision with Jesus Christ because Jesus is not concerned with all these rituals and washing. He is concerned about our hearts. And as he teaches the Pharisees, here's the real issue. Here's what makes you clean before God. Here's what's wrong with you that needs to be made clean He is emphasizing that it's not what we touch or what we eat or how we wash that makes us unclean. It's our hearts. It's not something out there that makes us unclean. It's something inside of each one of us. That's the problem. Jesus is getting literally to the heart of the matter. And so he's responding to these Pharisees saying, well, why don't your disciples do this? Why don't they wash like the tradition teaches us to wash? And Jesus is saying, you're missing the whole point. You can wash everything. I mean, you can kill not just 99.9% of germs like it says on the little bottle. You can kill 100% of germs. You can eat everything clean. You can wash everything perfectly and you're still gonna be dirty and unclean because it lives inside of you. He's getting to the heart of the matter. Proverbs 4.23 says this. It says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The Bible describes our heart like a spring gushing forth everything we think, everything we love, everything we do, every action, every word the Bible says is an overflow of our hearts. Basically, All of our lives, everything we're doing with our lives is an overflow of our hearts. The heart is the center of our lives. There's over 750 references to the heart in God's word. The heart, as the Bible talks about the heart, it's basically your heart is the person that you are, okay? Your heart is who you are. Listen to all these adjectives the Bible uses to describe our hearts. The heart is described as adulterous, anguished, arrogant, astray, bitter, blameless, broken, calloused, contrite, crushed, darkened, deadened, deceitful, deluded, devoted, disloyal, envious, evil, faint, faithful, far off, fearful, foolish, grateful, happy, Hard, haughty, humble, mad, malicious, obstinate, perverse, proud, pure, rebellious, rejoicing, responsive, righteous, sick, sincere, sinful, steadfast, troubled, unfeeling, upright, unsearchable, weary, wicked, wise, and wounded. That is a lot of adjectives I just went through. The Bible describes all of these things about who we are as people because they're describing our hearts. And I hope you heard in that list is that our hearts are capable of being faithful and steadfast and loving and worshipful. And our hearts are also capable of being evil and wicked and envious and hard. That's who we are. We, we can be one or we can be the other. See, when the Bible talks about our hearts, it's describing everything that we are in our lives. And the Pharisees, a major error the Pharisees made is they had this superficial view of sin. 
where they thought sin is out there and sin is just in these things that we do or don't do or we avoid these things. I don't watch these things, so I'm not sinful. We feel like the Pharisees thought they could put these fences up and guard their lives from sin. And it was a major error because they were trying to regulate sin out of existence. But you can't do that because sin lives inside of us. Whatever fences we put up to guard ourselves, we put up fences with our sin inside of them because sin is in our hearts. This is what J.C. Ryle says. He says, there is a deep truth in these words, our passage, these words of Jesus. There is a deep truth in these words which is frequently overlooked. Our original sinfulness and natural inclination to evil are seldom sufficiently considered. The wickedness of men is often attributed to bad examples, bad company, peculiar temptations, or the snares of the devil. It seems forgotten that every man carries within him a fountain of wickedness. We need no bad company to teach us and no devil to tempt us in order to run into sin. We have within us the beginning of every sin under heaven. Listen, do you believe that? You believe you have within you the beginning of every sin under heaven because that's what the Bible teaches about our hearts. And it doesn't take much to bring that sin out. That was my whole beginning scenario, just to say, man, just someone opposing us, not getting what we want. We crave something, we don't get it. And man, our hearts come alive, don't they? And we feel our fingers and we feel getting tense and my heart's pumping and I'm getting flushed because I'm offended that I'm not getting what I want. Has anyone in here ever stirred up a wasp nest? You ever got into some wasp, anybody? Uh, this, oh, good, yeah, congratulations, me too. So uh, this happened to me when I was in middle school. When I was in middle school, me and my brother loved playing wiffle ball. I mean, we played wiffle ball like 10 hours a day, all summer long, and a lot of times it was just the two of us. So we had like a folding chair that was the catcher, and if you hit the chair, it was a strike, and if you missed the chair, it was a ball, and we would play and keep score. We were very competitive, but what we'd often do is we would hit the ball onto the roof of our house. In the back of our house, we had like this 15-foot-high carport, and we were playing one day, and we hit the ball on the roof of the house, and I was the younger brother, so of course my older brother said, hey, shimmy up there and go get the ball for me, so I shimmy up the side of our house, and I climb onto this uh, carport that's about 15 feet high, and I'm going to get the ball, and I step right into a wasp nest on the roof of our house. Okay, I, I shimmied up like this gutter. So I'm up on the roof of the house, and bees, these things, as soon as I hit the wasp nest, they were just coming out of everywhere. They were just popping me, hitting me in my face, hitting me in my ear. And so I don't know what went through my mind. I think it was just pure terror would be the, the feeling I had. And so what I do is I just take off running on our roof, and I just long jump as far as I can. So my sister is below me. And all my sister hears are middle school Mike screaming at the top of his lungs, little feet running along the roof, and then she sees a body long jumping off the roof through the air. Now, this is the mercy of God because on this carport, one side of the carport slanted down a paved driveway. Okay, so that would have been like a 15 to 20 foot fall onto pavement. The other side of our yard kind of sloped up into grass. 
So I think it was just my genius subconscious. I, I ran to the grass. My sister later said, man, that was really smart. I have no recollection of anything. I just ran for my life. Okay, but man, they came out of nowhere. I mean, they just started attacking me. They came alive. That's, that's kind of what our hearts are like. They're like a wasp nest, and it just takes somebody poking it, you know, giving us an answer we don't like, not giving us what we crave, not getting to do what we want, and man, it comes alive fast, and words start coming out, and we're attacking, and we're accusing, and we're saying harsh things, we're being unkind, we're, we're having self-pity, you know, we're saying, woe is me, and we're, we're envious of others getting to do things we don't get to do, all of this stuff is coming out of our hearts. And if you have any doubt about the wickedness of our hearts, just look back at our text. Look at what Jesus says in verse 21. What comes out of our hearts? Okay, this is the beginnings of each one of these sins Jesus mentions is in your heart. It's in my heart. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, you know, even, even thinking about ways we can deceive and lie and get something that's not ours, murder, getting angry, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envying others, using our words to put others down, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within. That's what defiles us. That's what the Pharisees were missing. And when you read this list of all these sins, you think, Jesus is, is talking about someone really wicked, right? No, he's talking about us. These are our hearts. And it doesn't matter tonight if you are a parent or a teen, a boy or a girl, whether you are loud or quiet, whether you go to public school or private school or homeschool, we are all in the same boat. We have these hearts inside of us. We all have a problem called sin and it dwells within our hearts. That's your greatest problem. Okay, your greatest problem in that beginning scenario is not, not getting to do something, not getting to be with friends, not getting what you want. Your greatest problem is your heart is wicked. And we can't just get our act together or do better to clean ourselves up like the Pharisees were trying. Point number two, we need a heart change, don't we? We need something drastic to happen inside of us, not something that we can do externally. We need something inside of us to change our hearts. This is where the Pharisees were missing it. They were trying to do all these external washings and rituals, but none of that actually changes our hearts. The good news is that's what God promises to do for us through Jesus Christ. This is an Old Testament passage, Ezekiel 36, 26, where God promises, here's something I'm going to do for you when the Messiah comes. God says this to us in Ezekiel 36, 26. He says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I, God says this, God will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is what has to happen to us, right? Our hearts need to be transformed, renewed. They have to be changed. And we can't do this for ourselves. There's no actions. There's no cleansing. There's no obedience that changes our hearts. God has to do this for us. You probably remember in John chapter 3, the story of Jesus with Nicodemus. You guys remember the story where uh, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. So he's one of the ones who does all these rituals and washings. And he follows this 185-page book of rules. And he comes to Jesus at night. And he asks him, 
You know, Rabbi, what, what must I do? You know, I know you're a man who teaches the things of God. What must I do to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus tells him, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. To which Nicodemus asked, uh, okay, that's a very interesting concept there. Uh, how can you be born a second time? It's a great question. And Jesus is talking about, and he says this, he's talking about being born of the Spirit of God, a second birth, a new birth, being born again. So we have our first birth, which everyone in here has had since you are here tonight and alive. But Jesus says, to see the kingdom of God, you need a second birth. The first birth, you were born with this heart that was sinful and wicked, and all these things are coming out of it. And you need God to reach in and you need to have a new heart, a second birth. You need to be born again. Everybody in here, that's what we need. That's the only answer we have to what's wrong and how can I fix this? The only way I can fix this is if God saves me and gives me a new heart because my heart is wicked and sinful. And listen, if that hasn't happened for you yet, I just want to encourage you, pray and ask God to change your heart. Ask God to make you born again, to fill you with his spirit. Repent of your sins. Put your faith in Jesus. Ask God to do this for you. I think God loves answering this prayer. When he sees us with our wicked hearts crying out, Lord, save me, change my heart. You know, when we're aware of how wicked it is, we cry out to God and he promises, I'll give you a new spirit, a new heart I will put within you. And I think understanding how wicked our hearts are makes us so thankful for the gospel because there's no power in this world which can make a bad heart good. I mean, apart from the gospel, if, if people don't have the gospel, there's absolutely nothing they can do to change their hearts and make it right before God. They can go through rituals and washings and they can pray five times a day and they can take trips to Mecca. I mean, all of these religions are trying to make ourselves right with God and they're all trying to do these external things. And what they need to have happen is the one thing they can't do. They need a new heart. Only God can do that. And he loves doing that in Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ, the world is desperately lost. There is no other way to get right with God. We must be born again. You need a new heart. And so listen, if that hasn't happened, if you think, you know what? As I think about my life, I can't not sin. I have no power to, to say no to sin. Pray and ask God, to make you born again. Ask God to give you a new heart. Ask God to change your heart. That's the first step. Apart from that, there is no hope. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of what Christ has done, we're gonna look at this in a second, there's hope that God changes our hearts and that we can have the spirit of God living within us. We need a heart change, okay? So, so the heart of the matter is, th this is the reality of who we are, we need a heart change. And point number three, we need continual heart change. Okay, this is an ongoing process that needs to happen again and again and again. When we're born again, the power of sin is broken in us. Now we have 
the ability to obey. We have the ability to lay down our lives. We have the ability to grow, to devote our hearts to God and his will for us. But we have to always fight because sin remains in our hearts. And so there's this constant battle that takes place for the rest of our lives. And I want to give you guys a tool in this point about continual heart change. I want to give you a tool that I've used for probably 15, 20 years in my own life. I use it when I sit down with people and it really is helpful as families, as teens, just to see what's going on when all these things are happening. So we have some printouts in the back. Um, Sam and Bria, if you guys could start passing those out and uh, anybody else who wants to hop up and pass those out to everybody would be helpful. Thanks, Vinny. Uh, I wanna walk through this real quick and I don't normally do this. It's been a little while, but I'm getting back out the whiteboard. So... Yeah, yeah, thank you one person for cheering for that. <laughs> so I want to help you understand, so whenever we return to singing, you won't see the vocalist anymore, they'll be behind this, so this is a diagram called the three trees, okay? Um, I have used this for many years because it's helpful just to show what's going on in my heart, when, when these things are happening in my lives, when I'm struggling, when I'm anxious, when I'm angry, you know, how do I fight this? Like, how do I change? How do I grow? This diagram is going to help answer that question, okay? So you guys are going to help me with this a little bit. We're going to do a little practice. Going back to the scenario at the beginning of the meeting, let's go back to losing our temper, okay? If you can't read that in the back, uh... If you get angry, we can deal with that in a minute, all right, if you can't see that. So you see in here, in your diagram, everyone should be getting, you have the heat, okay? This is the sun. This is what's going on. This is the circumstance. This is what we always want to blame for our response. So the circumstance in our beginning scenario is you get the answer. Your, your friends call everybody. Everyone in Relay is going to the movies. It's a Friday night. The week's over, you know. You want to go. Everyone's going to be there. And all of a sudden, you get this horrible word, you know? No. That's the circumstance. That's the heat that's coming into this. Now, in the scenario I used at the beginning, what you see on there is, I love this. It's called three trees because, first of all, you have this tree, and this is the dead tree, okay? So we have all these branches coming out here. This is my tree, I don't know if it looks like a tree to you, but I'm not an artist, so. And this is the ground right down here. So the first thing we see is the heat comes out, and we look at what was my response, okay? So in the beginning, we talked about that example of someone losing their temper, and so, you know, they were um, getting frustrated. They began to yell, um, you know, uh, slam the door, they were, what? Somebody said something. Accusing their parents of having all the fun. Um, you know, they were having uh, something that I fought for a long time. This word self-pity, right? They went into their room. Woe is me, you know, like, oh. You, got, you all know that feeling. Don't play dumb with me. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, you have self-pity. Um, you are envious, right, of your other friends getting to go. You're jealous 
of them getting to go, you don't get to go. So all these things are going on, right? They're their responses, we're yelling, we're raising our voice, we're accusing, we're frustrated, you know. Um, we think, well, the problem is, is right here, right? That's our temptation. This is the problem. It's dad, right? Am I right about that? Can I get an amen on that? No, don't. That's wrong. Sam, <laughs> listen to the What's the problem? Come on, I heard it. Yeah, below the surface of all this stuff going on, there's a heart issue, okay? And that's what's so helpful. That's why I love this diagram because it's so confusing. All these feelings, emotions, self-pity. And, and the thing about a lot of this is we feel justified. Like in that scenario at the beginning, you may look at that and say, everyone's getting to go. I don't get to go. And we feel like there's this injustice taking place. Like, this is unfair. This is not just. We can have a whole message on categories of justice later, but that's how we feel. Like, this is unjust. What's really the heart of what's going on in all this? What I think's going on is a simple word the Bible uses called anger, right? Not getting our way. We want something and we're not getting it. We get the answer no, and so our heart is angry about that. And anger expresses itself in yelling and accusing and being envious that we don't get to do that and others get to do that. And we're accusing our parents of being unkind to us. And, and by the way, I'm using this as an illustration for teens, but parents, you can apply this all over your life. I, and you know <laughs> I do too. So I use this all the time, okay? So once you get to the heart, then the good news of why I love this diagram is because then you see, oh, okay, what's defiling me? It's not this answer. These things are really not the issue. This is just the fruit I'm showing in my life. The issue is it's inside of me. I have an angry heart right now. And when we say that, we confess that, and when we can do this and practice this, then we can take that angry heart and we can go, to this beautifully drawn disproportional cross. I like doing that, okay? That's, uh, okay, this is, I can't even handle this. Let's, let's go, it's, it's more like up there, right? And then that's the cross, great. You understand what I'm saying, okay? Thank you. So we, we repent of our anger, primarily to God, right? I mean, we should go to others when we express these things, but primarily we go to God. And here's the good news. Here's why I love this. We see, we see, Something wrong with my heart right now. I'm angry. And we repent of that. And we go to the cross. And the cross tells us, I'm going to have to get down here. So about Jesus, right? Who never got angry. You know, he never sinned. Uh, he was treated unjustly. He was innocent and condemned as guilty. And yet he responded with, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And so we see, you know what? Jesus never responded like this. And when I repent of my sins and when I say, God, forgive me for my angry heart, thank you that Jesus never got angry. Thank you that in light of people opposing him and even crucifying him, he never sinned and got sinfully angry at them. And Lord, I receive that righteousness now by faith. And now God looks at me as if I never got angry because I'm forgiven, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, when we repent of that sin, we put our faith in Jesus, we get 
these streams of living water, right? John, is it John 7, 38? These streams of living water where, uh, here it is, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So we've put our faith in Christ and the promise in John 7, 38 is now out of my heart is gonna flow this good fruit, this living water. And so through repentance, all of a sudden we see that our heart is no longer angry because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now we have the spirit of God. We've turned from our sin and God has changed our heart. And this happens all the time in our lives. Every day we can do this with different situations. And now all of a sudden we have a new tree over here and I'm going to tra- change from black because that doesn't seem very fruitful. But this tree is filled with good fruit, not dead fruit, okay? So what are some opposite things other than what we were experiencing before? You know, instead of jealousy, maybe we have love. Um, instead of being frustrated, we're filled with joy. Um, instead of having self-pity, uh, we're filled with peace, um, instead of accusing, you know, maybe we're filled with patience um, with others. Uh, maybe instead of being harsh and yelling, maybe we're, you know, we have kindness. Maybe there's some goodness over here going in our lives. What are these? They know what all these are? It's the fruit of the Spirit of God. And do you see the difference when our hearts are transformed And we have a heart now that trusts God, loves the gospel, is in Jesus Christ. And now, all of a sudden, out of our hearts, there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. That'd be a great one up here, by the way. Self-control flows out of us. Instead of slamming the door, you know, we use self-control with ourselves. I love this because this is what we desire in our lives. And so often what Jesus says is we desire this, but this is often what comes out of our lives, right? All this bad fruit. And what we're tempted to always do is we just keep going back from here to here. It's like this cycle of this is the problem. This is why I'm responding this way. It's your fault. It's because of what you're doing to me. And this teaches us and Jesus teaches us in our text. Now we want to get to the heart of the matter. And so the heart of the matter is the problem's not this problems right here. And if I can deal with this, and if I can identify the sin of what's going in my heart, what I want, what I'm believing right now, and the thoughts I'm having, and I can take those to Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, can repent of those things, put my faith in Jesus, Jesus transforms my heart, and now all of a sudden, all this good fruit is coming out of my life. Does this make sense? Is this helpful at all for you guys? So here's what I want to do. Okay, I think this is a wonderful resource I've used this for probably 15 to 20 years in counseling, uh, in our marriage, in parenting. Just in my own life, I use it. You'll see in my journal just pages where I'll just write this down. I'll just make these three trees and I'll just start filling it in. Here's what I'm experiencing. What's going on in my heart? And it really helps me to transform and to actually deal with the heart issue of what's going on. And so what we're going to do for the next five months of this series is every relay we're going to take a different issue 
And we're going to do this. The message is just going to be set up this way. We're going to look at anger. We're going to look at fear of man. Um, We're going to look at envy. We're just going to take an issue that we all struggle with. And we're going to spend 30 minutes in relay doing this with it and talking about it and preaching on it. And we're going to get to the heart of the matter of here's why we struggle with these things. And here's the solution God has given us in Jesus Christ. So I'd like to start right now with our discussion time.